This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. It's a pleasure to welcome Jerry Snyder back to the program. How are you doing, Jerry? Very good. Thank you, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Jerry is one of the founders of Historic Amsterdam League. He was vice president of that organization for two years, then president for three years. He currently serves on the board of trustees. Nicole Hemsley is uh, president of Historic uh, Amsterdam League, uh, which uh, is very interested, obviously, in the history of Amsterdam. And one of the projects that uh, the League has done for uh, several years is to put out a yearly calendar. And as we sail into 2017, uh, you can have hanging on your wall Amsterdam Icons 2017. What is the theme of uh, this year's calendar? Oh, this year, uh, this year, our theme for uh, 2017 is some of the uh, iconic uh, large uh, homes and mansions that uh, Amsterdam uh, still has around the city and did have uh, back in its heyday. And uh, we've tried to highlight some of those, uh, uh, give some folks uh, some pictures back into the past on uh, on what were some of our grand homes back in the day. Well, that is one of the things that people say about our hometown, that it was home to uh, you know, for a small city, which I think had a peak population of 35,000 at one time, for a small city, it had a large proportion of millionaires. In fact, the, the story, as I always heard it, Jerry, was we had more millionaires per capita than any other city in the country. I don't know if that can even be documented. I, I had always heard that, too. That's that's one of the, I don't know if it's an urban legend, or but I had always, I had always heard that, too. I've never actually found anything that, that would document that or definitively prove it one way or the other. But uh, if you look around, there was obviously some uh, some money to be had here in the city at, uh, at one time in its past. Uh, and uh, I think if uh, you look around at our boulevards and our avenues and some of the uh, some of the homes that were built uh, back in the 20s and 30s and the earlier part of the, the last century, it certainly proves that. And some of the, the buildings or many of these uh, homes are gone, uh, but some of them, or many of them, <laughs> remain, and that's obviously the one. Uh, I, I think the ones that you have uh, pictures of, even though they're old, older pictures, uh, a lot of the buildings are are, are still there. Uh, and this comes through kind of like a quirk of mine. I've never been a big historic building person. You know, I like history, but, uh, you know, somebody said once that you write about people, you don't write about buildings, but people do love these buildings. And maybe, let me ask you, why is that? Why do we have, you know, like I do note that uh, in December, I think they do this every year, they announced new recommendations for the register of, of historic places. That's a really big deal. People uh, love historic buildings. I, I think, I think, some of the some of the reason for that is probably that it buildings are, are something that's it's tangible and people it, it gives you a feeling of uh, when you look at a building it, it actually gives you something that ties you back to your history probably more so than maybe you can read about a person or you can read about an event but a building is something that sounds kind of cliche but a building is something that's more concrete and you so. can actually reach out physically and touch it and see it and it's it's really there and it's kind of actually able to transport you back to another time because it's something that existed then and you can still see it and experience it and uh it's it's part of it it kind of transcends back to that time it, it existed then and i think maybe that's why people 
look at a building and they feel more in touch with history when when they can actually reach out and feel a part of it. And uh, it one of the one of the things I tried to do when we put the calendar together this year was to incorporate mostly buildings that were still in existence and get people thinking about the fact that most of these buildings are still there. As a matter of fact, I think all but two of them that are in the calendar still exist, and maybe people will go out and look at them mm-hmm. and realize that, you know, there's still a lot of our history around that we see every day and don't appreciate it and don't think that much about it and uh, get them thinking a little bit more about it. Some of them are in really nice shape and some of them are in not so good shape, and maybe it'll give them the thought that, you know, there's still things around that we ought to take care of and preserve. Okay, well well put. And, of course, in terms of people, I mean, the, the, each of these buildings has the story of people in it, the people who live there, the people who built it, the, the successors to the original owners, and on and on and on. Well, let me ask you about these specific uh, pictures. Uh, the cover of the uh, the calendar, and I believe the month of June, shows 125 Spring Street in Amsterdam. And, uh, and uh, uh, maybe you can ex- explain this better, but a little confusion. Uh, Spring Street basically became Guy Park Avenue, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Originally, when originally this the street extended mostly from from Market up to about Northampton, and it was originally Spring Street, uh, named because there were springs located on the north side of the street there, and then uh, eventually it was extended uh, beyond North uh, beyond Northampton. Uh, it was termed the Boulevard uh, uh, on some maps, and eventually uh, that portion was Guy Park Avenue. Uh, and later on in the 30s, uh, in order to avoid confusion, the lower portion was renamed and the whole thing became Guy Park, uh, Guy Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 1909, when that original uh, picture that we used in the calendar, uh, that was 125 Spring Street. Mm. And this is, you know, you said before how people you know, ignore these buildings. I can't really place this one on uh, Guy Park Avenue. Um, and you, I believe you uh, write in the account of it uh, that it's professional office space now. And where is it? What cross street is it near? Uh, it's pretty much right across from uh, the Century Club. Okay. All right. And I, I used to even work down there. <laughs> uh, but... Um, it, so all right, so it's one. T- it's it's it, about two doors uh, east of uh, the uh, office for the aging. Okay, and unfortunately, I know where that is now. <laughs> oh yes, we do. And it uh, had or has these. I guess what strikes me from the uh, picture that you use is these beautiful columns. I mean, it really, really looks like uh, something that should be an important building. Uh, yeah, and and that actually was a as as we noted in the calendar there that actually uh, that was a major remodeling that the building underwent in 1909. Uh, that originally wasn't part of that building uh, when uh, when Young bought the property. Uh, they uh, they actually tore down the house. He bought the property uh, in the late 18 or in the 1890s, and. Uh, then tore the tore the building down that was there, and they built a new home. And then they did a major remodeling in 1909 and put those columns on it. And as you look around the city, actually, you find a lot of the older homes uh, had those columns added on the front. Uh, well, actually, you know, the Sanford Mansion when they remodeled that in the 19-teens, uh, the John Sanford had those columns put on the front there. And you wonder how much the influence of the columns that were put on the uh, 
Amsterdam Savings Bank, when that was built, how much that influenced a lot of the building around the city. Yeah, sort of copycat construction. Exactly, yeah. And and uh, bringing up the people, you mentioned the name Yund. I mean, that's who lived in this building, was Theodore Yund, who was the uh, a senior member of uh, the knitting firm, the knitting mill, Yund, Kennedy, and Yund. And this, that's the newsroom. I'm not saying Young. It's Y-U-N-D. Um, but so... Well, I guess the point, my takeaway from this is, you know, again, why Amsterdam had so many millionaires. I mean, it was known as the carpet city, but there were many other manufacturers of other products, including uh, like underwear and other other knit goods, and, and Yund was one of them. Yeah, textiles were another huge, uh, huge industry here in the city, and a lot of these other industries you just don't hear that much about because carpets were such a overwhelming uh, overwhelming entity here in the city. Everything else kind of got pushed to the side when people talk about Amsterdam and they think of carpets, but we did have all these other industries and everything, that, which was a, which was the theme of last year's calendar, actually, was the industries here in the city and how many other things we had. One of the, one of the, other, uh, one of the other big families here in the city, and they, they get their, uh, they get their uh, um, tribute, so to speak, here, uh, actually, too, was the Morris family, and uh, mm-hmm. they had a huge presence here in the textiles, too, and uh, their house, uh, one of their houses, actually, from the Morris family is also pictured here, and that also happened to be on Spring Street. Uh, <laughs> yeah, on the calendar was mm-hmm. uh, Francis Morris, mm-hmm. and people probably know that one better as the uh, Boyce Funeral Home, but I thought that was a rather interesting story when I was researching the calendar, too, was that... Uh, Francis Morris had the house built, but uh, unfortunately, he never got to live in it. Uh, it was interesting, though, because it was specifically uh, specifically laid out in his will that uh, the house was to be built for his wife, such that to the end that my wife may have a suitable home in which to reside. He had already bought the property and everything, but uh, he passed away before the home could be built, so he had all the specifications and everything for the house and all the plans for it, and... Uh, he put it right in his will that his executors were to see to it that the house was built in accordance with those requirements and uh, that his wife would have that house to live in, and that was all uh, taken care of, and uh, she moved into it and lived there for a number of years afterwards. I wanted to uh, bring up one of the other houses on what became uh, Guy Park Avenue, which I thought had an interesting uh, story to it. Well, they all do, uh, and that is your uh, August uh, 2017 picture uh, showing... Uh, 270 Guy Park Avenue, the home of Frank S. Dean. And you found a, a kind of, as you write, a curiously hostile quote from uh, the Amsterdam newspaper about uh, this house, uh, calling it pretentious. Yeah, that was uh, that was actually, uh, it was kind of a surprise. And uh, I guess you never, when, when you start digging in, and I'm sure as you well know from uh, from all your research, when you start digging into a story, you never really know what you're going to find, and this this was very surprising to find this because uh, I'm not sure if there's there's more to the backstory, uh, but uh, it actually came out of uh, out of several different clippings in, in the newspaper that uh, it seemed to, for some reason there seemed to be some uh, animosity towards the fact that this house was being built where it was and uh, the size of the house and the design and everything, but. Uh, there was uh, there were several stories about this specific house up there, and I'm not sure if there was uh, if there was some kind of a personal uh, problem with with the house going up where it did, or the uh, size of the house, or if there was just 
some kind of a some kind of a dispute. But uh, there were a lot of houses being built up in that area at the time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as it says, uh, the uh, it was referred to as an imposing, imposing colonial architecture and one of the most conspicuous homes. Well, passed down in building history as an architectural curiosity and the most pretentious house erected in Amsterdam in several years. Jeez, <laughs> poor Mr. And, Dean. Uh, it just it just seemed that uh, there were there was some reason that the. Uh, they were picking on that house for some reason and the yeah. design of the house. I don't know if uh, uh, someone had it out for the owner of the home or uh, yeah. felt that uh, it shouldn't have been built there for that reason or somebody else wanted the property or what the story was on it. But it was, it was just curious what you run into sometimes when you start digging. And like I say, I'm sure you find that too when you go into some of your stories. Yeah, and this looks familiar. This house still is there, isn't it? On... That house is still there. The, uh, the porches and everything that are on the house have been removed, but again, it has those beautiful columns in the front. And uh, actually, I think uh, oh, just over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of restoration work done on that house. It looks very nice now, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, definitely uh, definitely looks nice on the corner. I I always thought it was a nice looking house myself, but uh, it's like everything else. Everyone has their own uh, their own impressions and their own tastes and it's, when they look at things such as that. And it's on Guy Park Avenue. And what is that the corner of, or is, what is it at? Uh, it's on the corner. I think it's on the corner, yeah, on the corner of Caroline Street. Oh, it it's is, the, okay. Uh, it's on the southwest corner there of Caroline Street, but it doesn't have those uh, those big round porches on it anymore. And originally... Yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't determine exactly when they were removed. They were there up through the 50s, but I couldn't find out exactly when they took the porches off of it. And, and this was not the home of a, in a sense, captain of industry. Frank Dean, you write... What, ran a hardware store. Um, yes. I guess business was good. Uh, obviously, it was very good, yes. Uh, uh, his family did, however, own considerable amount of property in the east end of the city, and Dean Street was named uh, after the family and uh, because they owned most of the property down in that area. So there was probably some money in the family that went along with that. But he did run. He did run a successful hardware uh, hardware business. Yeah. And uh, the if you look at some of the old board of trade books, uh, he did have a fairly uh, substantial house down on Dean Street, although it was nothing on the scale of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he moved from there to this, it was uh, a quantum leap, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I do remember Dean Street. That's where my my two aunts lived on Forbes Street, around the corner from. From Dean when I was growing up, so we go up Dean Street all the time. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Jerry Snyder about the uh, Amsterdam Icons 2017 calendar. We'll have more stories from uh, Jerry and find out more about Amsterdam history in just a moment. This is Bob Cudmore here at the Historians Podcast. We depend on you, our listeners, to help us pay for production expenses. Please donate online at GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2016. Or you can send a check made out to Bob Cutmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. That's Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Thank you. Amsterdam Icons 2017, the annual calendar of Historic Amsterdam League takes a look at uh, mansions in Amsterdam that were 
built by mill owners and other prosperous folks. We have uh, just talked about two of them, really, and both of them are on Guy Park Avenue, which is, if you're interested in seeing some of these big homes in Amsterdam, many of them were on Guy Park Avenue. It's a long street, takes you from east to west or west to east, a good place to go. But there are other streets that had uh, very fine homes. I just wanted to bring up one other and, and uh, ask you about that, and then if there are others you wanted to bring up, uh, Jerry. I noticed on uh, Upper Market Street, this is the month of July, uh, the home of John Barnes, uh, which uh, you, you've got quite a bit of you know backstory on this, you know, the architect and so on and so forth. Yes, uh, John Barnes' uh, home there on uh, on Upper Market, uh, on the right side of Upper Market. When that uh, actually, when that was built, there's no street number on it because there was no street number given to it. It was kind of on the upper edge of the city. But uh, John Barnes was uh, involved in quite a number of things here in the city. Uh, as it says, he was uh, well. He had the Barnes Hotel on Lower Market, and uh, he was a businessman involved in several businesses here. He was a banker and a civic leader, and actually president of the Blood Knitting Company, so uh, he was uh, quite involved in a number of things. He was on a number of boards here in the city, and uh, Schenectady Gazette described it as one of the most palatial mansions in this part of the state. Uh, It's actually quite an interesting uh, and quite detailed uh, description of the home in in that Gazette article, and it goes into (laughs) into very, very... detailed description of the finishes in the house and uh, at the time it was built it was uh, it was state of the art in glass glass uh, tempered glass panel doors in the home and uh, all marble finishes and uh, it was it was really uh, really quite the state of the art it says it was very palatial inside very unusual design you could tell just by looking at the picture that it was kind of a unusual design of the home it was almost Almost built modular with uh, hallways connecting the sections of the home together. Had outside terraces with outside fireplaces for living areas outdoors. Uh, even noted that uh, the garage at the time had its own uh, uh, gasoline storage facilities in the garage, and uh, it, it was quite quite the home. Uh, still a beautiful home on Upper Market Street. Uh, and uh, again, it was built by it was built by Turner uh, Turner. Built most of the, uh, well, not most of, but he certainly built quite a number of industrial buildings here around the city. And uh, in doing research on these homes, it turns out that uh, that he actually built quite a number of the larger homes here in the city too. So uh, he's quite a part of the history yeah. here too. Turner and Sons Construction. Right, that that uh, construction company, for example, they remodeled the Sanford Mansion that became the yes. city hall. Right, that was part of it. They. Yeah. They built uh, and they built a number of the mills here in the city too, and uh, like I say, a lot, number of the number of the homes they were involved with. So um, it's really uh, really interesting to go back and look and start seeing seeing how much they did here in the city. And another one that I, I will bring up uh, again back to Guy Park Avenue, as many of these buildings are on Guy Park Avenue, the home of David Chalmers. Um, this. Uh, I'm quite sure this is the home. I remember years ago now when uh, Steve Dunn and I did the Amsterdam history documentary, uh, we were uh, able to convince the then owners, I don't know if the same people still own it, to uh, let Steve uh, shoot inside the building because 
uh, in there on the, as often happens like a, in a rich person's home in those days, their entertaining was done on the third floor. On the, I think it was the third floor, or else the second floor. And it was a it was a ballroom really that they had had uh, put in up there. Yes, the, the third floor. I've the, I've never had the opportunity to see inside, but all the uh, the uh, articles that I've uh, encountered on the home and everything mention the fact that the third floor is actually a ballroom that was used for entertaining, and there's a. Uh, a stage at the one end of the room that uh, that could be used for part of that, and uh, quite the uh, quite the location for social events in its day. Mm. And David Chalmers, or his, he founded the Chalmers Knitting Company, which was really, uh, you write, the last major textile manufacturer to be established in Amsterdam. Uh, that company's gone now. In fact, its building is gone. That was a big uh, controversy, as the British say, in the early 2000s as to whether that should be remodeled for housing on the south side of Amsterdam, but eventually it was torn down. Yeah, their mills, their mills were the were the ones that were over there uh, on the on the south side at the end of the pedestrian where the pedestrian bridge uh, comes from. over on the south side there, yeah. But the Chalmers building, I mean, it it looks special, you know, right? It's uh, and also the other story I recall, and I hope it's grounded in fact, is that it was one of the first electrified buildings. Uh, in fact, supposedly they had electric lights in the ballroom. The the articles that I've read say that uh, David Chalmers was actually, uh, uh, Edison was actually a personal friend of the Chalmers, and I've read various stories, uh, although I've never gone back and actually chased down verification, although I've read some stories that say that uh, Edison actually provided them with some of his early uh, light bulbs and uh, some of the earliest lighting that was provided to that house, and in the ballroom was actually original Edison light bulbs. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, because that's <laughs> what I heard, <laughs> but I'm glad that you found that uh, as well, kind of uh, corroborate that. Uh, and again, the bu- that building is uh, still a, a private residence. Was it'd there any be, other... It would um, be interesting to know if... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it would be interesting to know if any of those light bulbs are still in a closet somewhere there. It <laughs> could be, I don't know. Well, is there any other of the of the mansions you want to uh, mention from the Amsterdam icons? I, I, I'd just I'd just like to encourage uh, anyone who uh, has a copy of the calendar. Uh, I'd just like to encourage them to maybe go out and uh, the addresses are all in there. Go out and take a look at the buildings today and see how they look. And uh, even the ones in the centerfold, uh, the ones that don't have the stories written up on them, uh, take a look at the buildings and. Uh, I, I don't know. I could tell I can tell them which two are gone. Uh, if they read the calendar, they'll probably be able to know which two are gone. So the the other ones are the other ones are still there. But take a look at the ones that are still around. And uh, I just mentioned one other one that uh, that I found that was interesting that uh, kind of caused me some uh, drove me kind of crazy. It was uh, Harvey Chalmers on uh, Division Street, mm-hmm. and that's the March picture 108 division street mm-hmm. and harvey chalmers harvey chalmers and son uh, they founded the hampshire mills uh, they're the largest pearl button manufacturers in the world here mm-hmm. uh, but going back through the board of trade books and going back through the photographs and everything harvey chalmers bought this very nice large frame construction home on division street and uh 
suddenly at one point it changes. He owns this this nice masonry brick home with this large veranda and everything on Division Street. And uh, trying to find out when he moved, and I spent a lot of time researching it before I finally came across the fact that it's actually the same house that he had remodeled. <laughs> And come to find out again, he had it done by Turner. Okay. But hidden behind all that uh, all that masonry is actually the original frame house that he had veneered over and changed the whole appearance of the home. Uh, there's a there's a frame home under all that masonry veneer and everything there. But it's just interesting to realize that there's a very old frame structure under all that masonry veneer that he had put over the front of it. So it just. Uh, Sometimes you don't know what you're really looking at, and uh, it can be quite an interesting uh, process of finding out what the what the history is behind some of these homes. But that home is still there, and I would encourage people, like I say, go out and take a look at some of these homes. And it's interesting to uh, interesting to realize what the what the real history is behind them. And some of these houses don't look that good, and uh, if you know the history behind them, to realize that at one point some of them belonged to some of the richest people in the country. Yeah. And the uh, calendar is called Amsterdam Icons 2017, and uh, we are into the uh, new year, but uh, certainly time to put it up on your on your wall if you want to use it as a calendar. Uh, wh- where are the uh, calendars available? Well, they're available at the Book Hound on uh, East Main Street. Well, it's Main Street now, uh, uh, downtown Amsterdam. Uh, they're also available from the Amsterdam Free Library. And they're available at the uh, at the gift shop at Walter Owen Museum. You can get them directly by mail from the Historic Amsterdam League at Post Office Box 132, Amsterdam, New York. Just go to our website, historicamsterdam.org, and all the details are there. They're available for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also mention, if I can, that we did something special this year. Uh, Folks have been looking for some of our earlier book publications that go along with our tours. Uh, For the first three years that we did for 2011, 12, and 13, our our companion booklets for our tours have been out of print for a while. Uh, We arranged to get a special short-run reprint of those first three years. Uh, Miller Printing did us a favor on those, and we did get some reprints of those, so we do have the original three-year books available again uh, so those you can get the details of that on our website also uh, so if you missed out on those first three year books and started your collection late or just never started your collection we now have all six years available of our uh, neighborhood tour booklets uh, in Amsterdam so uh, get them before they're gone because we only got a hundred of each of those first three years available and a lot of them have gone already so mm-hmm. I would encourage you uh, not to not to wait on those if, okay. if you're missing them for your collection and, uh, and the prices are reasonable I would interject what what is the cost uh, to the customers for the calendar the Amsterdam the calendar is twelve dollars like it has been since we started we've, we've been able to hold the price on that uh, Miller Printing has been very good in working with us on that, and uh, I mean they've done an excellent job on the on the on the print every year. Uh, beautiful work on that, and they've been very good to us. Uh, we've been able to uh, we've been able to hold the price on the calendar. It's twelve dollars. Uh, if you order it through the mail, there's an extra charge for the postage. Uh, it's an extra two fifty uh, on the mail because they do they are oversized and they do weigh a little bit more. 
so we have to charge for the postage on that. But I'd also mention that we're, we'll be glad to send them out as gifts. If you want to give us someone else's address and have them mailed as a gift, uh, we're more than willing to do that for you, too. So, And also, in, in general, we're almost out of time, uh, the uh, pictures that you have in general are, I believe, from your collection of uh, uh, postcards, or, or no? Or do I have that wrong? Uh, the ones, the ones that we have in color are uh, are from my collection of postcards. Uh, some of them are taken from Board of Trade books uh, that are in my collection. Uh, also, uh, the Department of History and Archives. Uh, has been very kind to us and allowing us to use photos from their collection, from the original uh, mm-hmm. John Arthur Manny photos. And uh, they've been very good in letting us use some of their photos also. Okay. So well, we'd Jerry, like to thank them. All right. I'm glad you got to thank them because we're just out of time. We've been talking with Jerry Snyder of Historic Amsterdam League. This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.